Before we get started, I'd like to thank Wisconsin Cheese for supporting this season. Hello, I'm Alex Redgrave, Executive Editor at Sever. Welcome to our new podcast, Place Settings. This season, we're traveling across the U.S. to meet the chefs, farmers, makers, and creatives who are transforming the food space through their unique connection to a place, from the high desert of New Mexico to the buzzy streets of Brooklyn. Each week, our editors will chat with a food innovator whose personal journey is as compelling as what they're putting on the plate. Let's dig in. Today's guest shows how much care can go into a single piece of food and how many different people can be part of that process. Chris Gentine is a cheese grater and affineur who sees infinite possibilities in transforming an already excellent cheddar into something new and unexpected. Along with his wife, Julie, Gentine is at the creative heart of Deer Creek Cheese, the company they founded in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee. Building on the state's classic cheeses as a base, the couple then infused their own special alchemy of flavors, from juniper berries to green chartreuse. They work closely with master cheesemakers in the area, and by extension, small local dairy farms, to craft award-winning cheeses that celebrate the unique surrounding terrain. Beyond the borders of Wisconsin, Gentine is also a kind of ambassador for American cheesemakers through his Artisan Cheese Exchange, which exports specialty U.S. cheeses around the world. Connecting the two projects is Gentine's deep respect for centuries-old techniques and a collaborative approach. It starts with his family. His daughter Sophie is following in his footsteps to become a certified cheese grater and extends to the larger cheesemaking community. Our editorial director and a former cheesemonger, Kat Craddock, caught up with Gentine as he hit the road to check on a new vat of Deer Creek cheese and to test an upcoming flavor back at the office. This area of the state's called the Eastern Ridges and Lowlands. You can see kind of where the hills now start really rolling. This is where this glaciation started. You know, these were sheets of ice, several thousand feet thick. And, you know, they carved up this earth and then this is really what was left when they receded. It gives maybe a sense of time, which is super important in cheese. Hi, I'm Chris Gentine. I am co-founder of the Artisan Cheese Exchange in Deer Creek Cheese. If you look at this valley, it's all enshrouded in fog this morning. Just that fog layer and the treetops and, you know, a couple silos poking through. It's very fertile, rich land. Actually crossing the Sheboygan River and our offices are really where that river exits into Lake Michigan. So it's a pretty long journey, kind of like our cheeses have their journey through the Wisconsin countryside. So you grew up in the cheese industry. Your grandfather started Sargento, which is now a major company back in the 1950s. How did being around the family business spark your own interest in cheese? Well, I worked for my grandpa when I was a kid. Um, 
I started with them when I was 14, probably because I was cheap labor and probably also to keep, keep me out of trouble, which was a good thing to do. But I had the opportunity to work in so many different arenas in his plant. I mean, you're throwing a lot of cheese around in the course of a day when you're, you're taking and breaking 40 pound block down into smaller product. It was kind of tough work. And there was a guy that was on the receiving dock. It was my grandpa's cheese grater. His name is Al Oleg, a great guy. And um, Al always looked very relaxed and he was cool. And he got to use this tool called the cheese trier and take these little lab samples. And I was not a science guy at all. That kind of sparked me a little bit to think, okay, cheese is pretty cool. So I got to go back with him and he said, I'll show you what I do. So that was kind of my first glimpse into the science side of cheese and what really, you know, what's a good cheese and what's not a good cheese and why they're not good. The affinage side of it and the grading side of it are where my passion lies. It's kind of more creative and fun and lets me bring more of my family in too, so. Tell me more about your grandfather. Uh, I understand he did a lot of different things before he got into cheese. As the story goes, this is my Aunt Marge. She said, well, you know, your grandfather was an undertaker at the time. And then he also was raising mink and chinchilla, which I guess is you did in the 50s. He was a pretty entrepreneurial cat. Then he started to dabble around in, in cheese. And my grandma kind of told my grandfather, Leonard, I've got five kids and I'm not doing a bunch of laundry with embalming fluid and mink and cheese on it. So pick one. So it was told to me, that's kind of how the transition to cheese evolved. But um, yeah, he was a neat guy. I enjoyed him. Back in 2006, you started the Artisan Cheese Exchange, uh, which is a specialized exporter of artisan cheeses from all around the U.S. How did your start in a larger cheese company evolve into becoming this kind of ambassador for small-scale American cheesemakers? Starting this with my wife, Julie, talking about what's next, you know, what should we do now? And um, we got inspired seeing what was really going on in U.S. artisan and specialty cheese at that time. We were both intrigued by it and thought, you know, okay, this is something that's kind of cool. It offers us the ability to help people who outside the U.S. people wanted their products but had really no way to facilitate the consolidation. Think about, oh, how hard could that really be? In France, it's not hard, but you can almost fit France inside Wisconsin and eastern Minnesota. I was like the supply chain side of the business, so it was kind of an intriguing proposition and we kind of started the company that way. The first day was interesting because it was basically us programming a fax machine sitting on the ground. It was one of those things where, you know, Julie and I were thinking about it and, and kind of created out of nothing based on the, the statement, well, what if? From your time working in export, what do you find really stands out about American-made cheeses and Wisconsin cheeses in the rest of the world? When you have people who I would consider some of the best of the best in the world that want to take products that are made here, whether they be something that's creative inspiration like a Rogue River Blue or a very well-made, I mean, Pleasant Ridge Reserve being a Beaufort Saguier, um, 
or even our stag cheddar and you have people like Jason and, and the team at Neil's Yard or Patricia Mickelson or Hervé Mons or Catherine Vogel who want to import these cheeses into Europe. Those are serious people with incredible cheese knowledge that are kind of signifying that, hey, what you guys are doing is pretty amazing. The cheeses are of great quality. The story's cool. And I think they also greatly appreciate the terroir that's in our country, you know, and, and understand that it makes it different. I understand that a trip to Japan inspired you to start Deer Creek. Uh, what did you set out to accomplish with setting up that project? We went there and, and we were struggling to sell our potential Japanese customers a U.S. cheddar that had the flavors that they were looking for. Julie and I talked about it. They're looking for smooth and they're looking for creamy. They appreciate things that are well done. If you've been there ever, you'll come out of the subway into an area like Ginza and you'll go into the food courts that are there and they'll have this whole bin of melons and then there'll be this melon on the top that's got a, a wire rack and it's you know got the horn on it and some of the vines and and I looked at my friend Itzuki and I go, dude, what's the deal with the $50 melon? Because the ones in the bin will be like five bucks. But then there'd be this one or two that would be up there and they'd be 50 bucks. He goes, oh, that's Ichiban melon, man. That's number one. Food gifts are really a big deal for us. And if I came to your home, I would bring this perfect melon. So I thought, well, let's do the same thing with cheese. I looked at Julian and said, we could do something like that. They really appreciate luxury goods there too. And they also really value the consistency of quality. And at that same time, we had been to the UK and then we had traveled to Canada and we were starting to see things from around the world. And that also inspired us to uh, begin working on um, VAT 17, which is we call our world cheddar because it combines a lot of the, the flavors that we found of cheddars from around the world all into one cheese. To just outside of Keele, Wisconsin, uh, to go visit with Carrie Henning, um, who makes a lot of our cheddars. You know, Carrie's one of our master cheesemakers in the state, so, which is almost a PhD program of cheese. His family's been making cheese for about a little over 100 years. Good, Mindy. How are you? Good. What's the word today? We're going to go see Carrie. We're gonna, he's making some rattlesnake. Good. Nice to see you. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, hello, Carrie. hello, hello. How, how are you, you doing? doing? I'm always good, man. Good, good. How about you? Good. good. Well, we're rocking and rolling with this uh, bat of the rattlesnake. So, um, should we get out to the plant? Sounds good to me. So here we just are in our loading dock area. A lot of our wheels still go out in the traditional wood boxes that my grandpa would have used. You know, we look at all these ways of how we can be more green, right? They were already doing it. I mean, it's a wood box, sustainably sourced. And then you've got cotton bandage and paraffin to protect this cheese, which is all really 
super biodegradable. All right, so the guys are getting ready to mill here. They're cutting these slabs of cheese in, in half and all done by hand still. That, which is one of the things, you know, we like is that it's really that old way. When you do things by hand, it takes just a little more skill than a machine doing it. The next step is adding salt. Salt's what helps the milk make its leap to immortality, really, you know. The right amount of salt is very critical. If it's too much, the cheese kind of just dies. We've got the habanero peppers ready to be put on to the curds. And our tequila. <laughs> You'll probably want to sneeze in a little while here. Ten gallons of tequila we're applying here. <laughs> As I'm coughing out, <coughs> the, the, the more these peppers just want to choke you. Yeah. Uh, Carrie and I, we're spending a lot more time out here than we normally do because you're tuning it. Then you got to let it sit, you know, 60, 90 days. But the problem is, is that you also have to make sure that... How about if we go into the museum again? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to know what it's going to be like in a year, too. And that's where you've got to watch it. And the flavors sometimes are really nice. And then all of a sudden, in 60 days, it was like, whoa, what's going on? There's something not right about this. You know, but you don't know that. You know, if we would have jumped on it at... 30 days, it was great. Unlike a chef, where they can taste almost immediately how their creation was, in our business, our first sampling is 30 days later. And then if after a year or at some point along the way, we said, oh, you know what? This cheese kind of went funky now. You kind of start the process all over again. You know, the more you play with, the more time it takes. So it's all these different things that we've kind of discovered over probably six years of making this cheese. When the Sever editors are putting together an epic cheese board, a creamy cacio pepe, or a melty chile relleno, we look to one place for our star ingredient, Wisconsin, the state of cheese, where rich international influences meet a unique American terroir. That one-of-a-kind cheesemaking culture has flourished since immigrants from Switzerland, the Netherlands, Italy, and beyond first settled in the region's lush green hills almost 200 years ago. The soil and water, nurtured by glacial sediment, provided the perfect conditions for recreating their favorite cheeses. Today, those centuries-old skills, combined with the freshest milk available, has won Wisconsin more national and international cheese awards than any other state or country. From grass-fed alpine-style cheeses to cave-aged raw milk cheddars, Wisconsin cheesemakers blend tradition with innovation to create an impressive artisanal assortment that will wow at your next meal. Look for the proudly Wisconsin cheese badge at your local grocery store and discover your next favorite cheese today. You've called yourself a cheese hot rodder. Can you walk me through what that looks like in practice? I'm a 60s kid, so I came out of the Ravel model and Hot Wheels era 
when we look at the cheeses that we try to do from a standpoint of, okay, yes, technically they're cheddar, but we do them a little bit differently where you're taking something, whether it be a Mustang or even an old British chassis, and you're stuffing a small block V8 in it, and then, hey, let's go take on the world in the road race championships. I mean, that, that's kind of the, some of the spirit of what we try to do. And then in the same sense, we're also that kind of restorer of classics to have something that you can roll up to Pebble Beach and get on the podium. But in all those competitions even that we do compete in now, Julie and I kind of have a, a rule that is we don't pick contest vats. We want to use our grading skills in the affinage set to really, you know, culminate those cheeses. So when we make a 22-pound wheel, we don't know what that vat's going to be starting off. We're looking for those different flavor notes in there, and sometimes they're where we want them to be, and sometimes we feel like the time will take them to where we want them to be. But you don't know that right when you make the vat. You got to let it become what it wants to be. How do you decide which ingredients are going to hot rod into your cheeses? I'll give you an example of the Blue Jay, which is one of the cheeses that my wife came up with, because she really likes big buttery blues. We have a, like a butcher block island in our kitchen. We've got some brie and, and we're trying some stuff. And Julie's a really good cook. She's like, wait a minute, I had that juniper from that roast I was making. So she mulls this thing up in her hand, right? And she said, there we go, that's what we need to make. And I'm like, okay, cool. So that's a fabulous cheese. And we age it a little bit longer and we wrap it in a very old school way. We don't fact pack it. Some of them come up that easy. Some of them, like the rattlesnake, we were trying to make a cheese with scorpion peppers, which are like 120 or 125,000 on the Scoville scale. It's ridiculous. The spices were pretty intense. I mean, we work with Carrie on that cheese, and Carrie's like, yeah, you know, we can't make that. And I said, well, well I don't know. There isn't really anything that sexy about a habanero cheddar. And so I went and got like eight different tequilas and had stopped in at Carrie's one morning. And he saw me standing there with these eight bottles. And he comes out of the maker room. He's like, what are we doing today? <laughs> I was lucky because his dad, Everett, was there. He was about 82 at the time, and he kind of looks at me, hi, Chris, and I, he goes, what's going on? And uh, Carrie's like, yeah, Chris wants me to put one of these tequilas in, in a cheddar he and I are working on. And he just looks at Carrie, and he just goes, I'll be right back. And I'm like, where is he going? <laughs> and he comes back maybe 10 minutes later with three bottles of tequila from his last trip to Mexico and a stack of Solo cups. And he goes, all right, Carrie, we're going to your office. We'll figure out which one of these tequilas goes in the cheese. So they start out a little bit like that, but then they gain their personalities. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I've noticed that many of your cheeses are named after wildlife, like the moon rabbit and wild boar. Sophie, my daughter, created all of the animal series labels. So she started with the fawn when she was 14. And then 10 years later, she did the wild boar. We have the names that we have. They really shine a light on some of the, the local um, critters we have in Wisconsin. I had a book when I was a kid that was written by Richard Scarry's wife. I actually brought it. And I just liked it because it's got the cool map in the front. And I also thought, wow, okay, we can make this little village of cheeses that have different personalities and they go along the river. And then luckily Sophie brings those characters to life with a lot of the soul of the cheese. She's got a really super good palate.
beautiful day along the Sheboygan River. Hey, good morning. So uh, we're in our Deer Creek and Artists and Cheese Exchange offices. And we keep it real open because we like to have that dynamic um, between people and we don't try to wall everybody in. Hey, Soph, can you come here? For sure. I grabbed it from the warehouse. I'm gonna hit it with the cheese trier. All right, give it a turn, pull it, get a nose on it. Wow, okay. Smell. Really smells really nice. Really nice, yeah. really nice. Here, bust a piece off. This one could cruise a long time. Mm -hmm. Texturally, it's really smooth. That has that nice nuttiness. Um, yeah, beautiful. We'll make note of it, yeah. Beautiful nice piece bat. of cheese, yeah. nice piece of cheese. Okay, so you want to try something cool? Yeah. All right. You haven't tried this what before. What is it? Nah. So this was something that we were working on prior to the pandemic. Um, so this is kind of a prototype for the Luna Moth. Do you remember that? Yeah. Do you yeah, remember I where was... your artwork is? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited okay. to work on that, though, because I feel like that'll be such a beautiful label. I think so, too. Yeah. So it's the one we were thinking of wrapping it in the beautiful pink foil and having that very ethereal, you know, yeah. very lovely label on it. Um, but just get a nose on this real quick. Oh, my goodness. So we're doing that in the St. Germain. Give Thank it a you. whirl. Now it may not be quite enough because it probably didn't get a bath as long as we'd all like to get a bath sure. in St. Germain. <laughs> Here, cheers. Wow, all right. Mm -hmm. It's like very decadent, but also super light. Mm-hmm. It's got this beautiful floral from the elderflower. Yeah. It's nice to think about being able to finally do something like this that we kind of had parked. And of course the Luna Moth, that freeness of post-pandemic, so. Mm -hmm. Definitely yeah. mystical state of mind. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs>
we use a heck of a lot of it in the cheese industry, making product, um, cleaning down facilities and those types of things. So, um, you know, we need to be responsible with how we're using that to be able to produce what we are producing. And we're lucky. I mean, we've got really beautiful water to use. So it became more important to pick one thing. You know, you don't take the shotgun approach. Let's be very fixated on what we want to do and, and work with those organizations. In the U.S. and certainly in Wisconsin, um, you're part of a movement of affineurs who are kind of focused on the art and the craft of finishing cheeses for other producers. Uh, why is that more appealing to you than having full control over the process from pasture to plate? I'll go with what a friend of my dad's used to tell me. Let the hammers do what the hammers do best, right? I have never been on that side of the business, but there are some people, especially in our state, that are amazing cheesemakers. To kind of keep in that, that Deer Creek mindset, where you look at that 17 Imperial Bucker, you know, the Deer Creek cheeses, that's exactly the same recipe, one in a 40-pound block and one in a 22-pound bandage-wrapped daisy. And they have 100% different flavors at exactly the same age. That, to me, is mind-blowing. You know, why does that happen? And so there's a whole other career right there in trying to f- figure out how that works and why. It's also that collaboration side of it. You know, that's cool. We're lucky that we have that kind of industry here where somebody will let you in and you can combine your ideas and seek to understand something completely new for both of you. And you bring each of your talents together into creating something successful. Do you feel like there's a uniquely American approach to affinage? I think we're starry-eyed here a little bit, you know? Especially from food, because we're such a culmination of so many things. Even on some of the soaks that we do, we do them with older products like the chartreuse being something that's been made since 1603, dipping a weird hot rotted sweet finished cheddar cheese, giving it a bath in that. That's kind of a unique American thing. Um, From a pure standpoint of aging products, um, we probably use a lot of traditional methods, but I think it's what we're starting off with that's different. There's no boundaries on that beginner cheese or what it could be like. The simple aging and watching and looking and knowing. Um, But there's always tweaks, you know. The seasonality is different here. Just in our state, I think even if you made VAT 17 in in different regions, like if we made it down in Andy Hatch's neck of the woods down in the Driftless, the terroir in that area is so different. So the milk compositionally, flavor-wise, is going to be so different. How would that milk react with the culture set that we're putting in there? That's kind of like the next peel a page out of the David Finney manual, you know, let's do locations with the same recipe. Let's make it out in New York. You can do a lot of different things. And I think we're so blessed with just so much diversity in the state of Wisconsin that we kind of keep ourselves in our own borders, but maybe it's different to age it in different parts of the state. I think that's the whole American side of it. What can we do? We should try that. That's our show for today. If you want to try out the rattlesnake or any of the other Deer Creek cheeses, head to the link section of our episode description for more info. I'm your host, producer, and the creator of this podcast, Alex Redgrave, and here are all the incredible people who bring place settings to life. 
The show is also produced by Ali Alkiza, executive creative producer Hallie Petro, head of production Pat Sullivan, associate producer Kimu Alolia, production assistant Alex Teal. The theme music and original composition is by Julian Fader and Justin Morris. Music edit, sound design, and mix by Rob Ballingal, with support from Kelly Osman and Owen Shearer. Music supervision by Justin Morris. Our tape sync and field recordist in Wisconsin is Lou Cardozo. At Sever, our chief content officer is Kate Berry. The podcast visual design is by Britt Ashcraft. Play Settings is recorded and produced with Sonic Union in New York City. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Join us next week when we head to Philadelphia.